This is episode number 82 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, Jesse here. Before we dive into today's To Birth and Beyond episode, I want to tell you that there are only a handful of tickets left to my in-person one-day workshop in Toronto, Canada this September 15th. The event is called Postnatal Fitness Specialist Live. And it is for any fitness and health professionals or anyone who has a strong interest in postpartum exercise and pelvic health. I will be leading this six-hour day, and we're so lucky to have Anita with us on part of that day as well, as she will be teaching a session on pelvic floor anatomy and assessment and giving her perspective as a pelvic health physio working with postpartum people returning to fitness exercise, life, and sport. So in addition to that, on this day, you'll also be learning how to assess for diastasis recti on a variety of bodies, techniques for cesarean scar massage, strategies for coaching a client in fitness who is very early postpartum, and for those who are moving into higher intensity and higher impact training. And lastly, what I think is so important that we'll be covering is how to speak to your clients about body image in an intersectional way, particularly how we can be practitioners if you are a practitioner joining us who practices from a weight neutral and health at every size perspective. So there are only 20 seats total for that day, but we only have a few of those remaining. We would absolutely love to have you. The magic of in-person events is untouchable, and I cannot wait to be in community with you on September 15th in Toronto. If you want to join us when you want to grab one of those last tickets, go to programs.com jessiemundell.com slash pfsa dash live. That will be in the show notes of today's episode. And if you have any questions at all, you can email me or DM me on Instagram and Facebook. Happy to help. Hey everyone, welcome on to another episode of To Birth and Beyond, Jesse Mundell. And today we are joined by such a fun guest who I have been so looking forward to having a conversation with, and that is Nicola Salmon. Nicola, thank you so much for being on. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you, Jesse. Yeah, so I just rolled, like literally rolled out of bed. It's 6 a.m. here. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the UK though, London, correct? Yes, that's right, yeah. Okay, excellent. Of course, my kids both woke up in the night last night, which is not very common, but always happens when you need to be up early and you're like with your brain functioning. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, but I am, again, so excited to have this conversation with you. We are going to be talking about fat positive fertility, which I which I was saying to you before we started recording, we have talked about and had episodes on plus-size pregnancy. We talk a lot about um, anti-fatness and fat phobia, if that's a word that um, you might like to use. I know that some people have trouble with that word as well, but we talk about those themes and thin privilege, and we talk about um, just what it might be like for people going through pregnancy or leading up to pregnancy in larger bodies. And I think that even if you are not trying to become pregnant or not thinking about pregnancy, um, this is just such important conversation to hear the perspective of others who might be in walking different shoes or a different path than you. And for the fitness and health professionals listening in who are working with people who are trying to conceive or who are pregnant, birthing, or postpartum, it is so key that we have the this information and pay attention to these stories too, to really check our own biases as well. So let's get into it. I'm going to do a quick intro to you, Nicola, and then we'll talk more specifically about what it is that you do. Okay. All right. Nicola Salmon is a fat positive and feminist fertility coach, trained acupuncturist, and naturopath. Nicola has dedicated her life to supporting women who want to get pregnant, and specifically, she advocates for change in how fat women are treated on their fertility journey. Her unique combination of acupuncture, naturopathy, and fertility coaching gives her the skills to support her clients physically, mentally, and emotionally on this journey. Nicola is also the author of the book, Fat and Fertile. So tell us, how exactly do you work with people, and how did you come to this work? Oh, it's been such a long journey to get here. So many twists and turns. Um, but the basics were that I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 16. Um, I was told that I wouldn't be able to have kids at that early age. And that, looking back now, had a huge impact on who I was as a person at that age. And it was so impressionable when we're younger. I mean, I didn't really realize it then, but looking back now, I can see that it completely shot my confidence in myself and my body, in who I was and who, you know, like which partners I could choose and what I was going to achieve in life. And so many things were impacted by this fact that my body was broken and that I wasn't going to be able to become a mother and, and all those things. So I kind of moved on to my kind of adolescence with that kind of in my head of like well, this is what you're never gonna be and then went to uni did the uni thing started working and when I started working I was working in a slightly rough part of London um and a guy got shot outside my flat and that kind of triggered postnatal um not postnatal depression um post-traumatic stress disorder for me and um that's what led me to acupuncture so I tried loads of different med uh, western medicine things but nothing really helped me um until I tried acupuncture first time I never tried it and I had such a positive um experience with it that I decided to train as an acupuncturist and that was really what started me down a more natural health route because before that I was working in a hospital I was a clinical scientist um and it just completely changed my whole career path down to this more natural route so I trained as an acupuncturist and a naturopath um and once I started working in that field I had so many people come to me who wanted to get pregnant 
so I decided to specialize in fertility acupuncture um, but the more and more I was doing in this work the more I realized that I wasn't really fulfilling the whole picture there was so much kind of emotional stuff going on and mental stuff that I couldn't really support with my acupuncture so I expanded into coaching which kind of then led me into working with people via Skype working with people one-on-one all over the world and then kind of through all this training through all this kind of professional development I'd met my partner we've got married we were ready to start our own family and I was expecting it to be really hard but actually for us it was really easy we got pregnant straight away with our son and then a year later we got pregnant with our second and that really lit a fire in me it really made me question what I'd been told by my doctor what so many people are told by their own healthcare professionals about their ability to conceive their ability to get pregnant and maintain a healthy pregnancy and have healthy children and then it kind of led me on a journey to really unpicking because all this time when I was had PCOS and was kind of living my life I was really under the diet culture's thumb so I was really on this yo-yo dieting path up and down of weight loss weight gain and trying every single diet that I could find and it wasn't until my children were starting to learn how to feed themselves and what to eat that I really began to understand the impact of what that was doing both to me and what I was passing on to them so that's when I quit dieting that's when I quit weighing myself but then it left this kind of gap of okay well if I'm not somebody who's dieting who am I like what what do I do and luckily at that point I stumbled into the world of Instagram and I found all these incredible people who were talking about alternatives to dieting and you know the real impact and the research around dieting and why it doesn't work and there was so much there for me to kind of heal myself and learn about myself and then I realized that there was this huge area in fertility that these women were just being left they were not being supported in any way shape or form they were told to lose weight even though we know that intentional weight loss doesn't work and they were just you know in this place where they hated their bodies for not being able to get pregnant and they hated their bodies because they were told it was their fault that they couldn't get pregnant and if they just lost the weight it'd be you know easy for them to get pregnant so there was just this huge gap and I was like oh my gosh you know these women are just being left and they're just feeling so crap about themselves that I had to step up, up and I had to kind of do something about it and I knew that you know in a parallel universe that would have been me in that position that would have been me who wasn't able to get pregnant and have my children and you know all that that came with that so that was the reason that I decided to step up and and do this work and support these women the best way I could without telling them that they had to lose weight oh I love this <laughs> so much I want to ask you okay such a cool story I think sharing it is so important. So when you were trying to conceive, maybe even the first time, were those messages um, of that you're going to need to lose weight in order to get pregnant, were they in your mind? Were you believing those, thinking those? 100%. So I was completely expecting to have to go on like a 12-month extreme calorie diet before I was going to be able to get pregnant that's what I was gearing myself up for in my head so I was kind of in a bigger body still and then I got pregnant even really before we started trying and and my first thought was oh crap you know like I haven't lost the weight 
what is going to happen to me? You know, I am going to have caused my child all of these like X, Y, Z complications because I didn't lose the weight beforehand. And I just spent pretty much all of that pregnancy in a state of fear, in a state of panic because of what I was anticipating happening. Nothing happened. You know, I had a healthy pregnancy. I had a healthy birth. I had a healthy baby. But I was in a complete state of anxiety for that whole time because I was told that I was going to get gestational diabetes. I was told that my baby was going to be, be big, that I was going to have problems birthing him, that, you know, all these things were set up for me to um, expect the worst. And actually, none of it happened. And it made me really start to question where this information was coming from. And it was really the first time that I ever learned how to advocate for my own body and really dig into looking beyond what my professionals were telling me and that's kind of when I discovered that you know actually I do have a voice and I can speak for my own body and I can make my own decisions and I don't just have to do what the doctors tell me to which was a huge realization and also really damn hard oh it was horrible because I was pregnant you know I was dealing with all the stuff that goes with that you know the tiredness and the hormones and everything and then on top of that, I was still working in a kind of full-time corporate job. And, and then on top of that, I was having to research like what are the risks to do with, because I wanted a water birth and I wanted a home birth. So I was researching what are the real risks surrounding that? What are we being told around that? And where is that? Why is there a discord and what is going on around that? So I could make my own informed decisions. And that stuff is hard. And having those conversations is really hard. It is. It totally is. And especially because this is such a sensitive time, mm. especially when someone might have gotten pregnant and then they're feeling these pressures from their healthcare provider and you're trusting them so deeply, you're growing a baby and you fully want what is best for this baby. It becomes mm. so much bigger than your own self. So I'm interested, one, where is this information coming from, first of all, that we're hearing from the medical field such that we need to lose weight in order to get pregnant? And then secondly, how do you, how do you help your clients, your patients find their voices, like find that confidence and courage to be able to speak up when they know that, no, that doesn't feel right for me. I don't want to do that. Mm, so all the research there's so much research out there that supports the idea that getting pregnant in a bigger body is more risky than getting pregnant in a smaller body but so much of that research doesn't take into account like two major things so the first is weight cycling and for me um that was such a big thing because so weight cycling is the yo-yo dieting so they're going up they're going down with your weight but with also your calories your dieting and that plays a huge role in how your body can perform, you know, with regards to repairing itself, with regards to regulating itself. And so much of the research doesn't take into account that the people in bigger bodies either historically have or are currently on really low calorie diets or really restrictive diets. And that plays a huge impact on, on how their bodies are responding and reacting in these research studies. And the second one is weight bias. So I'm sure this is something you've already spoken about, but the weight bias that people in bigger bodies face in two ways, so kind of internal and external, both from their doctors who give them, them shorter appointment times and kind of just turn them away and tell them to lose weight before they'll go through any kind of diagnosis or treatment. 
And then the internal one where you're telling yourself that if you go to the doctor, you're going to be shamed, you're going to be made to go on the scales, you're going to um, go through this traumatic experience, as you may have well done in the past, which again will prolong the time between something happening that makes you worried or that you feel like you need to go and see the doctor to you actually getting the help that you need. So again, that delay, that um, the difference in that will create a higher risk because you're, it's taking longer for you to get the support and new help that you need. So those kind of really two big things are coming into play and they're not being taken into account with the research. So I think, you know, there are so many things that we can do to support those two issues that would then bring the risk right down and we don't have to touch the weight, we don't have to talk about the weight, we don't have to put people on the scales or talk about their calories or their macrobiotics, you know, whatever we're talking about here, you know, we can completely remove that from, from the arena and really just take these two huge things and really bring the risks right down for people. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. That forces us necessarily to look at our own stuff, our mm -hmm. own beliefs, our own thoughts which is so necessary for us to, yeah, for us all to be able to access health. Yes. Which is so important. You know, and we should all have equal access to health. You know, we all should be able to access the same treatments and the same um, diagnoses and the same respect from our healthcare professionals. So important. I'm interested. I know here in Canada and in the larger city that we are near, there are a couple of fertility clinics and I do believe that there are BMI standards that someone needs to meet to be accepted for treatment to go through treatment that's incredibly problematic and mm -hmm. what can you explain why and then how do people manage that it's so problematic um in the UK as well we have so we have the NHS which is a free access healthcare system but again, those BMI restrictions are placed on the health, on the access to IVF. Um, so people are finding they either have to pay large amounts of money or they have to then lose this weight in order to meet their guidelines. And first of all, we know that BMI is a completely rubbish, rubbish way of measuring health, of measuring any kind of um, indicators of what's going on with that person's body or their fertility or, you know, anything really. Um, and it's just so damaging for people to be told that, okay, you can't access this treatment or this um, type of help because of the size of your body. And irrespective of what their health looks like or, you know, how good their blood pressure is or how, you know, how good their blood glucose levels are, you know, there are no, there are no investigations into what this person's health looks like. So there's no real way of looking, okay, well, we can't really, we don't we can't there's no way we can use bmi to extrapolate to how um how good the outcome is going to be from that ivf so it's really just it's so unethical and it's so wrong that they use this measure to decide who is worthy in you know commas of of accessing this treatment and there's so many studies now that show that ivf works the same regardless of what bmi bracket you're in you know it does not have an impact on your ivf outcomes so it's just so frustrating that they're using this as a form of fat phobia as a form of discrimination against fat people it's infuriating and i'm so glad that you mentioned that the research the body research that is available to say that bmi 
is not, um, we don't need to be in these tight specific windows of BMI in order for IVF to be successful or effective. Yeah. That's amazing. And then I can only imagine it's just going to take so long for the medical community to catch up to that, believe that and start practicing that. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And people just, I mean, there's only so much people can do. You can, you know, like I have a list of things of of like research papers that I can send people so they can go to their healthcare professional and say, Hey, you know, look at this research, tell me why I can't do this IVF. But people are so stuck in their ways and so convinced that being fat is wrong and being fat is unhealthy that they almost can't see behind the ahead of their own biases. So it's, it's so frustrating to only, you know, and there are some clinics that don't have this weight barrier. There are some clinics who will see you as a whole person and be able to, you know, support you in the body that you're in, but they're hard to find and they are few and far between. So it is about, you know, looking for that provider that's going to support you in your current body, if that is at all possible. And if not, then it's looking at how you can access that treatment and making a really informed decision about, you know, deciding what is going to be best for you. You know, do you have to go down this weight loss route in order to get your children, you know, your children, or is there alternative ways or is there alternative support? And it's really about making a really informed decision about the best thing for you. Cool. Okay. That is so good to hear that there are clinics that are Mm. throwing these standards out the window. I'm interested, how do you work in your coaching with people who are trying to get pregnant? What does that look like? So I use a like a, a framework that has kind of four key points. The first one's formulating. So it's creating a plan for people with their own needs and priorities around their health and mind. So we're going to throw weight loss out the window, which has been normally their tool for measuring their health and their well-being for most of their lives. And we look at really you know what's important to you. How are we going to get there? What baby steps can you take? What actions can you do daily to really move you towards what's important to you and your needs and priorities. Then we look at advocating. So what we've talked about before, you know, how can you really step up and ask for the support that you need to get the treatments that you need and to get that support from other healthcare professionals without it being, you know, too difficult for you to have this conversation. It's just having tools around that to help support that conversation. The third one is around trust. So for so many people, they've been told time and time again that they can't trust their bodies and they can't trust their appetite and they can't trust what their body's telling them. And so it's really about relearning how to trust your body's instincts and to look at the signs and symptoms that your body's telling you in order to make informed decisions about your own healthcare and what you need in the moment. And then the last one is around positive mindsets so around really looking at the lens that you view the world in and the beliefs that you hold and how we can change those to support you in your journey to getting pregnant. So, so many people believe that they can't get pregnant in their body because they've been told that they're too big or that it's not possible for them. So really changing that around and really helping them to believe that that is possible and it is, you know, their bodies are capable of that is really important. That's really beautiful work. Do you... Do you talk about pregnancy a lot with your people or do you work with people in pregnancy? I'm just imagining and also what you said about these fears that Mm -hmm. are coming up for people during the pregnancy 
itself. So that we're told if we're pregnant in a larger or a fat body that we're going to get gestational diabetes. The birth is going to be incredibly challenging. You're going to have to have a scheduled cesarean because this baby mm-hmm. won't be able to be birth badly. Do you talk about all of that stuff with your people too? Yeah, because so many people, one of the reasons that is holding them back is because they feel that if they do get pregnant in their body, that that will happen for them. So we have to dismantle those beliefs as well and look at the real research behind that and what it really means so that, again, they're making a formed decision about getting pregnant in their body because they need to be aware of all the risks and they need to be aware of where those risks come from and why they're there and what we can do to minimize them so that they can go into pregnancy feeling confident, feeling happy with their bodies and knowing what to expect. So good. Okay. What does body acceptance mean to you? Oh, good question. So body acceptance for me is about being okay with where I am right now. So for so long, my body was like the be all and end all for me. It was like, if I didn't have the perfect body or be a size X, Y, Z, then I wasn't good enough. But right now, you know, when I know when I'm in that kind of place of body acceptance, when really I don't think about my body, my body is my body. Um, it's like my eyeball, you know, like my eyeball is just an eyeball. I don't even think about it. It's just doing its function. It's living in the world, doing its best eyeball thing. And for me, kind of body acceptance is kind of trying to translate that into the same thing. You know, like my body's not holding me back from anything. My body's just being awesome at being a body. and I don't have to ask anything else of it. And I'm not thinking any less of myself because of the way it shows up in the world. I love that. I also think it is so important for us when, and I know that you speak about this in your work too, when we're talking about body acceptance or body confidence to also Mm -hmm. think like there's so many intersections here of race, class, gender, privilege, et cetera. So how do you... How do you think about this when you are talking about body acceptance with people or writing about it, like considering all the lenses and understanding that body acceptance is a form of privilege in some mm. ways? So the first thing that I always that I always do when I'm writing about this is know that I'm going to make mistakes. I know that there's no way I could possibly envision what other people's experience of this is like because I cannot be in their bodies you know the only experience I have is of my body and I've got to just forgive myself for not knowing it all because I think if I if I didn't do that to start with then I would be paralyzed by the fear of upsetting someone or saying something wrong or doing something wrong so I I kind of almost like trust that okay I am gonna say this stuff I'm probably gonna get it wrong and I've got to own that and be okay with doing it wrong. And as a former people pleaser, that is really quite hard to do sometimes. Um, but at the same time, I'm always working on this stuff. You know, I'm always reading from people who are in marginalized bodies. You know, I'm always learning from them. I'm always paying them for their work and always supporting them and trying to raise their voices in this space as well. Because, they're, like I said, there's no way I could possibly understand their position because I haven't lived it. And I think that by understand if I try by listening and just not always talking and not always just presenting my opinion and presenting my approach 
that that's the only way I'm going to learn about it. So I think, yeah, accepting that I'm going to mess it up, accepting that I'm probably going to say something wrong, but then be open about how that happened, owning up to it, explaining why I was wrong and then trying to just doing better next time. Yes. All of this. Thank you for that. Yeah. Listening, centering the voices of people's Mm -hmm. lived experience who we cannot. So important. Okay. I want to ask you a couple more questions. I know that you do some consulting with businesses Mm -hmm. to support them and showing up better for people in bigger bodies. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So a lot of people I see in the online space and people I talk to who run businesses, if they've not lived in a bigger body or they've not lived in a marginalized body, it can be really hard for them to understand and conceptualize like how they can support people more than what they're doing. And for some people, I think it just needs to have a conversation with someone who has lived in that experience or someone who has um, kind of is kind of in this world and knows what's going on for people and talks to people all the time around this experience. And that, that kind of position, that kind of, perspective I think is so valuable and so important so with these um, consultations with businesses with people who are working in this field you know all we're really doing is exploring and looking at the bigger picture for them so kind of how they're showing up and have they thought about this and have they thought about that and what are they doing around this idea and that idea and it's just bringing awareness to maybe some areas of their business and how they're supporting people that they haven't maybe seen because it's not in their world for you it's not in their lived experience so by shining a light on it it's something that they can work on and they can help fix and then almost that way we're kind of I'm trying to spread it bigger so you know I can only help so many people at a time but I want everybody to be helped I want everybody to feel supported in the same way so by working with businesses like it kind of then they can do that and then they can spread that and it just kind of grows faster and grows bigger so that more people can feel supported in this work Mm, that's wonderful and that can be online consulting for anyone anywhere correct oh yeah completely you know if you feel that you'll get some value from speaking to someone who works in this field he's in a bigger body who understands the difficulties that people in bigger bodies face then it will be perfect and we can just explore how how you can better like show up so great okay and another way that we can learn from you is that you wrote a book tell us about the book (laughs) oh cool so this book has been in my life for about four years now I wrote it about 90% of it then I put it in a drawer and then I wrote a bit more of it then I put it in a drawer again and then I decided I want to get it published so I emailed a few publishers but I didn't hear anything back so I decided to self-publish it so I did it I published it I figured it out and now it's out there which is pretty terrifying but it's it goes back to the whole thing that I said you know you know I'm gonna make mistakes I'm gonna do stuff wrong I can either sit on this or I know it can be helping people out in the world and I can revise it later so that's what I did um so yeah it's available on Amazon it's called fat and fertile and it's kind of like a combination of my own experiences some of the tools I use for people a whole host of research around this field um and just it's basically like a big hug in a book. Oh, that's so, that's the best description I've ever heard. <laughs> so good. Um, can you tell us a bit about the self-publishing journey? What was that like? Oh, it was, it was easier in some ways than I expected. So like technically it was easier, but the, almost like the mental strength that you needed to kind of press publish, that was the hard bit. And I felt like, 
backing out and I did back out so many times and pushed it and pushed it and the actual kind of physical like oh my god I've got to do this the people are gonna read it it's quite hard but it was so worth it and I'm so glad I did it because you know I know my work's gonna reach people that it wouldn't have reached before and I've had so much positive feedback around people just going you know I'm so glad you've written a book about me for my body for my experience and people are just so blown over by the fact that they can relate to it in a way that they've never related to any other book about fertility. So I'm just glad I did it because for those people, even if it was just those people that read it, it was so worth it. Mm, Yeah. That gave me goosebumps. Just, just knowing that people feel seen and understood by what they're reading from you. Wonderful. So please tell us where we can find out more from you on the internet or in person too. So my website address is nicholassalmon.co.uk and that kind of gives you all the information about all the work that I do and the book. I'm also on Instagram at Fat Positive Fertility and Facebook Fat Positive Fertility as well. Um, And yeah, if you live in London or Surrey in the UK, then I do acupuncture and naturopathy in person as well. So check, come and say hello. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're doing such important work and I just really appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 